Hello everyone, and welcome back to Into the Fray, and it's March, and that means that my favorite time of the year, March Madness, is right around the corner. Anyway, I'm Daniel Marable here with... I'm Eli Kleinman. And today we've got a great list of topics for you guys. We uh, will first tackle elite versus lesser known programs and the route, the pros and cons of taking those routes, and then we will go on to power forwards now. We will be ranking... Uh, power forwards, uh, the conferences by the power forwards to come out of them. And then we will move on to Under the Spotlight. And this week we've got Oregon Under the Spotlight. And then our favorite segment, we will finish with Where'd He Go? So our first topic for today, elite versus lesser known programs, the battle between the two. It's always a heavy debate. So if you're a top high school recruit, assuming assuming you're going to college and not taking the professional route now, Essentially, you've got two options, choosing an elite program like Duke, Kentucky, even UNC, or deciding to go to a lesser-known program and being what they call a, a big fish in a small pond. So, Eli, why don't you start us off? What are your opinions, pros and cons to each? What do you think is the best bet? Well, I think the first thing to mention is there is a third option forming, and that is the G League. I mean, we see Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga go there, but more to the point of college basketball... I think there are benefits to both sides, and I think you can see both sides can work. Look at someone like Ben Simmons. He went to LSU. They didn't make the tournament. Markel Fultz went to Washington. They didn't make the tournament. But both went number one overall. And then you have someone like Jaleel Okafor, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. All went to Duke all went in the top 10. And I guess one thing interesting to note is Cam Reddish went in the top 10 despite having serious up and downs in his lone season at Duke. So really, I think either path can work. And it almost feels like it's more of a question of, do you want to be in contention for a title? Yeah, I think you covered that very nicely. Um, so I agree. There, there are pros and cons to each. And Bear with me because there are a ton of different angles to approach this topic from. Um, I think it's safe to say a majority, right? A majority of the top recruits ultimately do decide to join elite programs. I mean, we see it every year uh, through top schools like Duke and Kentucky because they've got the best recruiting classes. Um, I also think, I, I do think it's the best bet for these kids. I, uh, let's say you're a top five recruit and, and you decide to go to Duke. Of course, there are high expectations that come with that. But if you live up to those expectations, like you said, you're golden. And if we're being honest, a guaranteed lottery pick. And people may say, if you fail to live up to the expectations, your stock will dip. But I, I think the exact opposite is true. I'm sure you may receive some booing and disappointment from fans and the media, but because you're in the spotlight uh, and because the spotlight is on your team, uh, and like I said, uh, they, they say, right, all publicity is good publicity. I think that applies here. Uh, I, I think the odds are NBA GMs are, are still going to be willing to take a chance on you. You mentioned Cam Reddish. I think that's the perfect example. Um, he was the top three recruit. He, he was even higher than Zion, I think, um, with extremely high expectations entering Duke. And, and he did. He failed to live up to those expectations. Um, however, because he was in the national spotlight uh, every night playing with Zion and R.J. Barrett, he ended up being the 10th pick uh, in the draft. And, and now looking at the other side of the coin, deciding to commit to a lesser-known college, 
to be the the big fish in the small pond is the scenario in which players are are really betting on themselves and their abilities. Let's say a player decides to go to one of these programs and he ends up being a star and his team overperforms with him at the helm, garnering national attention that, let's be honest, otherwise wouldn't be there. And, and it's difficult to achieve, right? But history shows that it can be done. You mentioned Ben Simmons, but Anthony Edwards recently at Georgia, he ended up being the first pick. Uh, and Markel Fultz at Washington, who also ended up being the first pick in his, his draft. You, you said Ben Simmons at LSU. Um, and, and this tactic has worked wonders for these players, right? They, they, they were drafted all number one. But once they're in the NBA, and now this has taken on another, another dimension, it's a different story. A lot of these players have failed to live up to the expectations in the sure. NBA that they had entering. But, but the jury is still out. To be fair, you're right. It, it's too early. Uh, but but I think we should keep an eye on Cade Cunningham and what he's doing in at Oklahoma State right now. Uh, he's in a similar situation. He's likely going to be the first pick, so we'll see how his career plays out. Sure. And so you, you mentioned that not all of the players who went to smaller colleges worked out. I mean, are we going to really say Cam Radish worked out as a top 10 pick? Because I, I don't think that's a fair assessment. Did Jaleel Okafor work out? Absolutely not. So I think it goes both ways. I don't think it's one or the other. Here's the name of a player this season who shot his, uh, shot his name up the draft board. Moses Moody, he went to Arkansas. He was the 45th best player in the country coming out of high school. Sure, he wasn't a five-star recruit. He was a four-star recruit, and there were 44 other players better than him. But he definitely had offers better than Arkansas. And so, you know, he found a way by going to a team and raising their level of play and making them an excellent basketball team to really put himself in a place where he's going to be a lottery pick more than likely. You know, he had offers from Michigan and Ohio State. Both teams are in the top 10 and then you have a you know he had offers from auburn who's been good in the past florida state illinois kansas i mean so you know it can be done i think i think it can be done and you know if we're going to talk about you know the top prospects this year kate cunningham went to oklahoma state that's by no means a big program and let's be real USC is not a big name program either not in basketball and that's where evan mobley went and sure he went to go play with his dad and his brother but he didn't go to a big name program he's still going to be in the top five and i wouldn't even say he's had the most incredible season i mean he's had amazing moments but he's also had underwhelming performances and i think when i mentioned mobley with his brother and his dad i think it goes to a larger point is there are other things that influence these players going to college improper benefits are certainly one of them but they're not the only one right so players go to places because their families are on the coaching payroll. Look at the, Mo the Mobley brothers. Would they go to USC if their dad wasn't there? I don't know. Michael Porter Jr., he committed from Washington when his dad left the staff and recommitted or committed to Missouri once his dad joined that staff. So clearly there are other factors at play. Other players like to stay home. Ivan Rabb decided to go to Cal as a top 10 prospect coming out of high school despite Cal not being – an elite program yes and Jalen Brown came as well so you know clearly there are a variety of reasons for players going to certain schools and but I think what stands out is that you can be successful either way and you can also fail either way right I uh, no, I love I think you're absolutely right there, there are often family ties involved when a top recruit or, or even not that high of a recruit 
decides to go to a small program. Uh, Cunningham's brother is, I believe, an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And then you mentioned Michael Porter's dad was an assistant coach at Mizzou. Uh, but also, I feel like their decision is, is often guided by wanting to stay home and play for a hometown team. Uh, and you have to respect that, right? Um, you have to respect that. But they just they, I think they should just know that, that I think there are more challenges that come with taking the non-elite program route um, versus the elite. And you just mentioned it. You know, we love these... We love these hero stories of of Markel Fultz leading Washington, although they didn't make the tournament, and Ben Simmons and Cade Cunningham, although Oklahoma State's looking pretty good. But but the other scenario that often isn't talked about is you decide to be the big fish in the small pond, but it, but it doesn't go well, and you fail to live up to the expectations, and, and your team underperforms. You end up having to stay multiple years in college, and you eventually fall in the draft when you're supposed to go high, or or even worse, you miss out on the opportunity to play in the NBA altogether. Take Romeo Langford, for example. He's in the NBA right now, uh, hasn't played in a while, but he decided to stay home and be the star of Indiana, but because of a disappointing season, outside of the spotlight, which is key, he's not in the national spotlight, he fell all the way to the end of the lottery, once projected to be a high pick. Or how about right now, uh, Scotty Lewis or Jaden McDaniels, uh, recent, uh, two recent top 10 recruits who committed to Florida and Washington, respectively. Uh, and because they failed to live up to the expectations and they were outside of the public view, McDaniels, who was once compared to, I believe, Kevin Durant, fell all the way to the end of the first round. And, and Lewis is back at Florida right now for his sophomore season. Sure, sure. And that, that, that is true. And those are excellent examples. But, you know, I can come back, right back with examples of players who went to star schools and are falling down the draft board. Brandon Boston Jr. went to Kentucky. He's not going to be a top five pick, although he was a top five player coming out of high school. Terrence Clark, not hearing that name at the top of the draft. He was a top 10 player. He went to Kentucky. And I understand Kentucky has severely struggled. Caleb Love and Dayron Sharp, I don't believe they're going near the top of the draft. They went to North Carolina. So, you know, I agree with you. It certainly can help, right? It certainly can make a difference, but it doesn't always. You know, frankly, I think what's going to be interesting to see is you mentioned there are certainly stories of success and there are stories of failure. The real question is with more players going pro now before the NBA instead of going to college. If that becomes the most successful route, I think we'll see an influx of players going that route because it's all about getting to the league. College basketball is great, but it's a fan sport. These players have money on their mind. They want to get paid. And it's really as simple as that. You're uh, you're right. Um, and, and back to your point about Boston and Dayron Sharp. Guys projected to go high now, not so much. But don't you think, though? Let's say Brandon Boston went, decided to commit to Minnesota. I don't know Minnesota, right? You you think he'd still be in the same position versus Kentucky right now? Not not play wise, like his projection in the in the draft. I think going to Kentucky certainly helps him. He's in the national sure. spotlight, and, and but, but also when Kentucky flops the way they have this season, then he's also set to fall right so it, you're right it, it does it can help but it also can hurt because he's on national television every game playing awfully so you know it, it is one of those things that where it can go either way i think 
I think it certainly helps to go to a national contender. And I think being on a national contender and potentially having a great March moment, we've seen that help before. So you're not wrong. I think it certainly makes a difference. But I, I think there is a clear successful path by going to a non-Blue Blood school. True. And the G League just opens up a whole nother dimension for this. One last thing before moving on. Um, Patrick Baldwin Jr., I think he's the perfect example right here. He's a top five recruit for next year. He's down presumably to Duke and Milwaukee. Milwaukee, what? You might say, well, that's where his dad is currently the head coach. Um, and he's the perfect case study. I think we should watch and see what plays out, where he decides to go, how he performs, where he goes in the draft, and how his career plays out. I think that's a very interesting... Well, I... Well, you mentioned that people haven't projected to go to Milwaukee. Just in the last two weeks, through two to three weeks, there have been a number of crystal ball predictions on 24-7 sports that have him going to Milwaukee. So not only will it be a case study of where he goes, it sounds like it's actually going to be a case study of how he does going to Milwaukee. Because that's that that sounds like where he's going to end up. And, you know, it's another interesting discussion to have, and I don't think it needs to be had right now, but one interesting thing to pay attention to is there's been an increase of HBCUs being put in some of these top players, top five schools. Eventually a player will go there. Didn't someone just commit to an HBCU? I know McCurr maker went to Howard when he had yes. some other I believe someone else just committed but I cannot remember who maybe maybe it was just putting in them in the top of their rankings either way the point is that you know it, it is like going to LSU Washington USC or Oklahoma State is not a blue blood but that is going to an even smaller program and even smaller conference so if we see a increase in that it'll be really interesting to see how nba executives analyze those players definitely you're right there's more than just big schools and small schools there and there's g league hbcus we'll see we'll see how it plays out only time will tell all right so moving on to our next topic of today we are we're all the way at power forwards now we've done point guard shooting guard small forwards right now we'll be ranking college conferences by the nba power forwards to come out of them eli why don't you kick us off with your number five so my number five for the power forward, it's the Big 12. I, I'm, I've kept it really star-studded here. I don't think there's any point to going deeper than that. So there's three names. There's Lamarcus Aldridge, there's Blake Griffin, and there's P.J. Tucker. Honestly, P.J. Tucker might be the best one of the three right now, which is a problem. I, you know what? I'll give it to Lamarcus Aldridge. It's not Blake Griffin. So... You know, it, it was once a conference that had two all-stars. Now they're down to zero with, honestly, P.J. Tucker contending for the number one spot. So it's not, it's, not a, it's not the weakest class I've ever seen, but it is certainly not a very strong one. It, well, I've got at number five the WCC, the West Coast Conference, and it's just one school, if I'm being honest. It's, it's just Gonzaga. We've got DeMontis Sabonis. Brandon Clark, Kelly Olenek, Rui Hachimura. So I don't, I don't, I do think the talent here is better, a bit better than my fourth ranked conference. But the problem is, it's dominated by by just one team, which which is 
great and very impressive for Gonzaga. But if we're truly ranking the conference as a whole, I can't justify placing a conference with not a single notable player outside of one team higher than this. So that's why I've got basically Gonzaga at five. And I understand that, but when I look at it, I look at the players, not the teams. And that is why, I mean, I came very close to doing it. I didn't, I honestly regret it. I have the WCC at four. Yeah, it is only Gonzaga, but Gonzaga is enough. I mean, you have Rui Hachimura, Kenny Olenek, Kelly Olenek. Um, you have Collins, Sabonis, Clark. I mean, these are just, whether they're role players, budding stars, or an all-star this year, these players are, first of all, relatively young, and second, really solid NBA players. So I, I have them number four because I think there's a good amount of them too. It's not just one or two. It's it's four or five names. And frankly, when I look at the Big 12 and the WCC, I see a matchup for every WCC player that they are better than the Big 12 equivalent. So that's why they're ranked number four for me. Well, my number four is your five, the Big 12. Like you said, LaMarcus Aldridge and P.J. Tucker out of Texas. Blake Griffin out of Oklahoma, who is sitting until we assume he's bought out Royce O'Neal and Torian Prince out of Baylor. And obviously, the Big 12 consists mostly of players past their prime. Uh, this conference is obviously on the decline. Aldridge, Griffin, Tucker are all players whose futures are relatively up in the air. But as of right now, the talent is still there. At least to warrant the the fourth spot on my list. I, I like O'Neal's defense, and I still think Prince is a solid role player. So, you know, while you might say Aldridge, Tucker, and Griffin are, you know, on the decline, I think Royce O'Neal and Torian Prince are right there. They might not be on the same level as the Gonzaga guys. Eh, some of them, some of them. Not DeMontis Sabonis, but, I mean, they're right up there. Uh, solid role players. So, there's there are a variety of schools in here, and I... I that's why I place them above just one school of, of Gonzaga. I don't yeah, think the I mean, talent's I, big enough. I don't think the margin's big enough. Again, it's not about the margin. It's about the players, and the players are better. I don't care whether it's one school or it's 40 schools. I'm looking at the players from a conference. I mean, it, Gonzaga has more players in the entire Big 12. Gonzaga makes the WCC relevant every year. You know what? It's not like we're just like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. Don't put anyone from the WCC. Like, who cares about the WCC? People watch Gonzaga's games. Gonzaga's games get on ESPN because it's one team. One team carries the conference. Gonzaga is the number one team in America right now. They've been a top 10 team most years, and these players are the reason why. Sure. That's why they're. But what are we team. ranking? We're ranking the conferences, the conferences, yeah, not the team. And Gonzaga carries their conference. Uh, they do, but but are, uh, carry them far enough to be above the Big 12? I don't think so. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, so moving on, moving on to number three. Uh, I've got the Pac 12. You've got Kevin Love out of UCLA, who also hasn't played in forever. Aaron Gordon, who also hasn't played in forever, out of Arizona. Laurie Markinen out of Arizona as well, Kyle Kuzma, Utah, and then Chris Boucher now out of Oregon. So after not making my top five small forward list, the Pac-12 bounces right back 
Landing all the way at three, which is pretty impressive. And yes, Kevin Love's best days are most likely behind him. I, I still believe he could contribute to uh, like valuable minutes to a contender. And as for these Arizona guys and Gordon and Markinen, I, I still have faith in them, if I'm being honest. I, I still believe they can be great players on, on a pretty good team. But I think both, both might be in need of a, a change of scenery. Kuzma, we pretty much know what he is right now. And Boucher has a ton of potential, so I think we could see the Pac-12 overtake. You're not going to like this. I think we could see the Pac-12 overtake the SEC in a couple of years. If some of these players take the necessary leaps, oh, we assume they will take. On. Stop making things up. Delusional. Sorry, no, I, I hey, if Markinen and, and Gordon but take the leap and, and Boucher... They're not taking the leap. Look, I love Chris Boucher. I actually said coming out of college, he was going to be a very good NBA player. And it took him a while. But he is there. I, I did. Because when I watched him at Oregon, I saw everything you need. A three-point shooter, someone who can drive, someone who can play defense. That's what he is. Kevin Love's d best days are 100% behind him. You know, frankly, they've been behind him since he left Minnesota. And then looking at players like Aaron Gordon and Lowry Markinen, Lowry Markinen was a top-10 pick. How has that worked out, Chicago? He's averaging like 19 points, right? Yeah, but it's just, it's it's not an impressive 19 points. And it's a 19 points on a very bad team. I, I It's a stat padding 19 points more than it is a impressive game-changing 19 points. Aaron Gordon's a good player. I don't really, like, he doesn't really fit the NBA right now, though. He's undersized for a center, which is kind of the position he needs to play. But... He's not good enough as a shooter to really be a power forward. I mean, he's got crazy dunks, but he's not playing in the dunk contest. He's playing in the National Basketball Association. The Pac-12 is my number three for all the reasons you said, though. Which brings us to number two, where I have the ACC. The ACC has some really good, good players and some potentially great players, but they're not there yet. So Zion Williamson, I think, is the name that stands out most, right? I mean, he's an excellent player. He will be a star, but he's not hes not a star yet. He's not a superstar. He, he can't lead a team to where his team needs to go. On the other hand, and then behind him, you have really, you have good players. Jeremy Grant's a good player, although he's on one of the worst teams in basketball. And John Collins is a good player, although the Hawks don't want to pay him. For a reason. So, and then finally you have one of, honestly, one of the worst picks in the last five years in Marvin Bagley. Let, let's be very honest. Trey Young and Luka Doncic and Jaron Jackson are all better players than him. And they all went in the next three picks after him. Those were, that was a mistake. So while he's a solid player, he is not that great. And he's on another team that is just consistently bad. Well, you got it right. You you got the the second team right, or not team, second conference right. But you pronounced it a little funky. You said ACC. It's actually pronounced SEC. So take notes. Uh, so we've got Anthony Davis and Julius Randle. We all know them out of Kentucky. Tobias Harris out of Tennessee. P.J. Washington also out of Kentucky. Bobby Portis, who's like got the second best three-point percentage in the league right now out of Arkansas. Jamichael Green out of Alabama. Sure, you, sure you've got Anthony Davis, who's the best power forward in the league. There, there's no argument there. 
but the SEC doesn't have the depth or potential that the ACC does. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves, okay? Randall and Harris. Randall and Harris. No, we're being honest here, okay? Randall and Harris are good players. They're good players, and that's it. They're good players, and that's why I have the SEC at two. But Randall should not, and we all know in the deepest of our heart, we know deep down Randall should not have been an all-star this year. I think the NBA community what? totally overreacted just because he's Are on the Knicks. Are you kidding? Put him Are on. You kidding? Put him on the. Mm, let's say put him on the Magic right now, averaging the same stats. He would not be an all-star. I like. Are you kidding? Over Sabonis? I don't think so. He's a good player. He's a fringe all-star. I I don't think he's an all-star. His team is in a better shape than Sabonis's is, and Sabonis has a hell of a lot more around him than than Julius Randle. Okay, does. but keep in Sabonis mind, Sabonis is averaging two points less, the same rebounds, the same assists. He's shooting worse from three, a little better from the field. But the difference is, is that Julius Randle's team is the four seed in the East. Sabonis but by, is by like two games. And Sabonis' team fell off, but Sabonis is an all-star right now. From 4 to 11, the teams are like three games apart. But if Sabonis is an all-star, so should Julius Randle. Julius, and frankly, Sabonis has a lot more around him than Sabonis does. I mean, then, sorry. Sabonis has more around him than Julius Randle does. What, what, I mean, Derrick Rose is no longer the MVP form. Emmanuel quickly, I mean, is that, you know, all that great? Obi Toppin and RJ Bear? I mean, come on. Like, what you have around Sabonis is actually a really impressive team. What you have around Julius Randle is a bunch of parts that you kind of have to like find a way to put together. And that's what the Knicks are this season. And they're playing incredible. Julius Randle is a, whoa, whoa, this whoa. season has been an incredible player. Sure. He's been a good player. He's been a good player. But, but you say, you said incredible for the Knicks. I think they're, I don't know. What are they? One game over 500? I, I think. No, 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 no. I meant Julius Randle's an incredible okay. player. Right. Well, the Knicks are not playing incredible. They're playing above expectations. I think that's fair. But and you know why they're playing above expectation? Because of Alec Burks. Because of Julius Randle. No, you're right. You're right. I'll give you that one. But but I still think it's a little premature. He's a good player. He's on the fringe. I think the NBA community overreacted just a bit because he's on the Knicks, and the Knicks haven't been relevant. They haven't had an all-star since... Was it 2017, 2018 in Kristaps Porzingis? I believe so. That sounds right to me. Anyway, I, I like Portis. I like Green. They're impactful veterans. But I'd still rather have the ACC's veterans that I'll get to soon. Thaddeus Young and Derek Favors. So should I just go right into my number one? Sure. Yeah, my number one is the ACC. The correct C at the end. The ACC. Biased. Oh, okay, sure. Zion out of Duke, Jeremy Grant out of Syracuse having sensational years, both of them better than Julius Randle, I'd say. John Collins out of Wake Forest, Jonathan Isaac, who's injured again out of Florida State, Marvin Bagley, who you hate on just a bit too much. It's a, what? How can you say hate on? He went before all the good players in that draft class. I think I think drafted being drafted above Trey Young and, and Luka Doncic makes him look a little worse than he really is. I think it's fair criticism, but but he's still a solid player. He's a fine player. And then we got Thaddeus Young out of Georgia Tech. Derek Favors also out of Georgia Tech. And then I threw in James Johnson out of Wake Forest as well. Again, the ACC finds itself at the top of my list. It's by far the deepest conference when it comes to power forward. 
And what I like the most is it's a major a majority of these players are still young. You got Zion, Grant, Collins, Bagley, Isaac. These guys are only Which getting better. The point. They're Which only the getting point. better. That's the point. They so, still need to get better to take over number one. Sure. So so uh, I think there there's no question it's the best conference right now. In two or three years, it won't even be up for debate. That's the ACC. It's number one when it comes to power forwards. End of discussion. You're just wrong. wrong. I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, like, you were talking about the star power of the ACC. You're, you know, my goodness, Zion Williamson, he's a great player. He's not Anthony Davis. I mean, you've said Anthony Davis's name so quickly that it, if you had turned and stopped paying attention for about a second, you would have missed it. I mean, that's Come been on. a season. He's That's won. been a season so far. He's been hurt this season. But like I said, what was it, last week? Him being hurt shows how valuable he is. Because the Lakers are a completely different team without him. They are nowhere close to a championship contender without him. And with him, they might just be the championship favorite. So... Anthony Davis leads a strong class. You mentioned Tobias Harris. He's a good player. Jamichael Green, a good player. P.J. Washington, a good player. There's a lot of good players. And then you have Anthony Davis at the top, and that's better than anyone in the ACC, and it's by a large margin. So that is why the SEC is your number one power forward conference. But we will move on. And we will move to under the spotlight where today we will look at the Pac-12's first place team, the Oregon Ducks. They can actually clinch a Pac-12 title this Saturday against Oregon State, against all odds, if you really think about it. But we are not here to talk about where they are this season. We are here to talk about how they have produced talent in the NBA. So I will let you start. What is your biggest takeaway from the Oregon Ducks that are currently in the NBA or players that have recently been in the NBA. Yeah, so Oregon has six players, uh, to be exact, in the NBA right now. Bull Bull, Chris Boucher, Dylan Brooks, Troy Brown Jr., Damian Dotson, and fan favorite Peyton Pritchard. And then Jordan Bell is always floating around the NBA as well, so you can even say seven if you really want to. But six or seven, whatever you decide, it is impressive, don't get me wrong, but but it's honestly a little surprising considering, like you said, they're all they always seem to be at the top of the Pac-12 standings, always. In 2016, Oregon was a one seed in the NCAA tournament, made it to the Elite Eight the next year. They were a three seed, but made it all, all the way to the Final Four, so they've had a lot of success. Um, and what I also find interesting is most of these players from these teams recently are the ones in the NBA right now. Brooks, Bell, Boucher... Even Tyler Dorsey was in the league for a bit. Um, what I find most interesting, however, is that all of the six that came into the league, um, that are in the league right now, either came into the league in 2017 or later. And, w and when you think about that, it's actually fairly recent, very recent. So this tells me Oregon's really stepped it up over the last five years, the program as a whole. Yeah. I agree with that. That's probably the best way to put it. I think 
when you look at them, I mean, they do produce a certain forward, and they have a lot of that this year. I mean, they, they love to use their length. They, they run a full-court pressure. Obviously, that's not something NBA teams traditionally do because there's just more talent in the NBA. But they run a full-court pressure, which is why you need guys like a Dylan Brooks, like a Tyler Dorsey, like a Troy Brown, a Damian Dotson. You know, even someone like Chris Boucher is a very mobile big. He can run a press very well. And I think Dana Altman has Oregon trending in the right direction. You mentioned all those players uh, came out 2017 or later. Here's a name you didn't mention who, you know, I'm not saying he's a good player in the NBA. He left college too early, but Louis King, he played for Detroit last year. He should not have left college, but he he had talent. He was a very talented player. Maybe not one who was ready for the NBA. We'll see if he ever gets back. But, you know, he did make it to the NBA at one time. So I think that's what's really interesting about this Oregon team. And, you know, that 2017 was really special. I mean, Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey, you had Chris Boucher, you know, Damian Dotson, you know, it was a very good team. I mean, it's no surprise that they went to the Final Four that year. And then, which I think is the most interesting thing is Ball Ball, who was top prospect, everyone is very excited for him, went to Oregon, but never really played. He, he got hurt, and that was the end. He opted out. So I think that that's one interesting thing. But everyone else spent their time in Oregon and really – you know, was part of a very successful program. And actually Peyton Pritchard was also part of that final four run um, as a freshman before last year leading Oregon to a Pac-12 championship. So, you know, I think, I think, I think these players are just well-prepared for the NBA. I mean, obviously they're not stars. They're not as talented as some of the other schools we've looked at or some of the best players in the NBA, but I think, they're well-prepared, and they know their role, and I think that's what they do well in the NBA. Exactly, yeah. Going right off of that, I don't think any of these players are bad. Right? None of them are bad, but they're definitely all role players. Dylan Brooks is starting, and he's playing well, but I still think he's best utilized as a bench scorer, and Pritchard has been excellent, lights out for the Celtics, providing them with the much-needed spark. But uh, And as a Celtics fan, a delusional Celtics fan, as many would say, I'm still not sure I see him ever becoming more than just a great backup point guard. Chris Boucher, which I know you're really high on him, he's got flashes of potential, but right now he's thriving in his role as the Raptors' six-man. And I think that's a good spot for him right now. Who knows, maybe he can be something more. And I know you brought up you brought up Bull Bull. We all hyped him up coming into college, entering the draft, entering the bubble. Basically every possible chance people had, they hyped him up. But he's fully healthy right now, and he's still not playing for the Nuggets, and he plays a position they're not very deep at at the moment. So I think that should tell us something, if not everything, we need to know about Bull Bull right now. I, I don't see any of these six Oregon players ever developing into a superstar, but I, you said it perfectly. I think they all know how to, uh, all of them know the, their role, and they, they fit perfectly in that role. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the best way to describe them. And I think we're going to see potentially more Oregon players coming out, whether it's this year and someone like Chris Duarte. I'm not sure how he fits in the NBA. I don't think he's going to be – he won't be a top pick. But certainly, you know, has a, might have a place as someone who's a long guard who can score and be an excellent defender. So I think it'll be interesting to see moving forward. 
But that takes us to the final segment of the day. Where'd he go? Where we test each other's knowledge about where NBA players went to college. I'll go first today. Daniel had a three for three week last week. We need to change that up. Yeah, what's the record? I like this one. I think you're up. You're up by one now. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately. So we are going to start with a center from the Washington Wizards. Where did Alex Len go to college? Ooh, Alex Len. He was a top pick too, wasn't he? Yeah. No. Mm. Alex Len. I don't know why I'm thinking SMU right now. Um, I don't think that's right, but I can't think of anything else. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go SMU. That is incorrect. The correct answer was Maryland. Oh, I I think I knew that. Yeah. Probably did play him. Sounds familiar. Yeah. All right. I'll go with my next guy, a Celtics player, Grant Williams. Where did he go? Oh, come on. That's Tennessee. He yep. was part of that excellent Tennessee team with Admiral Admiral Schofield. Yeah, Schofield, yeah. That is uh, pretty recent. That, that, that one was probably too easy for you. Yeah, a little bit. My second one, we're going back to the wells of the centers. Where did Gorgie Jang go to college? Oh, my gosh. Gorgie Jang. Jang. Ugh. It's been a while. It's been in the league a long it time. It has been a while. Gosh. Uh, Georgetown? I don't know. Unfortunately, that is also incorrect. Not doing well. Although, in fairness, Louisville, where he went, used to be in the Big East. Okay. No hmm. Louisville. But no longer. I don't know if Gorgie Jang was there when they were in the Big East, but... It's been a while, certainly... so maybe. All right, my next guy... Bruce Brown, he's been doing a lot of stuff for the Nets. All the dirty work, they like him over there. Bruce Brown, where'd he go? I think he went to Miami. He did, he did, he went to I Miami. I was gonna say Oregon, but I was like, wait a second, that's Troy Brown we just no. talked about. He him. went to the real Miami in Florida, not Ohio. Yeah, yes, yes, the real Miami, if that's what we wanna call it. Okay, I am two for two, yeah. which means- oh, man. No matter what, I have the lead after today. What a swing, what a swing. Let's see if we can get you one more down. Oh, I had a player that I wanted to go, but we're going to switch it up. Where did Maurice Harkless go to college? Dang it, you got me today. Maurice Harkless. Harkless. Gosh. I'm thinking, I'm thinking East Coast. But uh, East Coast, I'm thinking high, high up in the north. Um, I'm not ACC. I feel like I'd know that if it was ACC. So I'm going to say, no, I have no idea. Um, let's go. Oh, I can't get this one wrong. Man, this is not a good day for me. How about, let's go like. This isn't right. I'm just going to go Michigan. I have no idea. Wow. I thought you were going to get it right. I really did. You had East Coast. You had high up. You had everything going for you until you left the East Coast. Yeah. (laughs) The answer was St. John's in New York. Yeah, I was never going to get that. (laughs) Well, 
There you go. Oh, All right. for three. Let's yeah. knock it oh, out. Oh, man. Let's the tides. Okay, hopefully I stump you here with this one. Where did he go? Myers Leonard. Oh, my God. Yeah, Portland Trailblazer, now now a Miami Heat. I think he's you, out like, for the you season. Pick someone, you literally pick someone who has been out of college for way too long. You want to give me a hint? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. He, um, hmm. How about, uh, he's not on a coast, if that's, if that's a hint. Okay, so middle of the country. Huh, let's see. I'm going to narrow this one down. So I don't think he's Big 12. He's just not a Big 12 type of guy. Just doesn't fit that vibe. So he's a Big 10 type of guy because, and I, yeah, that's that's the right answer. Not a Michigan guy. I would know that. Not an Ohio State guy. Maybe Purdue. Not Minnesota. It's definitely the Big 10 West, and it's not Wisconsin. It's not Nebraska. No, they they don't produce basketball talent. It's a basketball school. Who's a good basketball school out there? Oh, it's Purdue or it's Illinois. Oh, it's one of the two. I think those are two basketball schools. You know what? He just kind of fits the Purdue vibe. I think I'm going, if if it's Illinois, I'm going to cry. But I'm going to go Purdue. Yes! You were wrong and you were so close. He went to Illinois, my home state. Oh, Oh my my gosh. That was too close for comfort. That, that was good. Out. That really, that Zane, really you were really good at, at, at narrowing that list down. You got to think basketball school. Yeah. And then Illinois used to be good, and now all of a sudden they're good again. So I was like, you know what? We'll give it a shot. But then I was like, Purdue's been more consistent. I was like, he kind of fit the big man. Like, you know the Matt Harm? If you've heard of Matt Harm, he goes to BYU. Yeah, he was a transfer, that, right? Yeah, a transfer, but he was from Purdue. They had another center. You know Caleb Swanigan. He kind of just fit all those guys. Yeah, he so, does. So close, good guess. so far. Yeah. Well, two and three, and into the lead. That is all that matters. But that is all we have for today. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We say it every week, but that is where you can find us. For Daniel, I'm Eli. We say so long. Into the fray. We'll be back next week.